Alright guys, welcome back to another video on MF Hinge. Today we're joined once again by Oscar, my right hand man on these uh, on these podcasts. And today we're going to be talking about UFC 257, a recap, and you know, a very surprising night all around, top to bottom. Uh, some good fights on the card, started off with Emil Rabazi versus Zomogulov, a really good fight to start off, and then we ended it off. With one of the most uh, surprising shocks, maybe of 2021, Dustin Poirier knocking out Conor McGregor in in the in the first round, uh, second round. I mean, in the second round, and uh, yeah, an absolutely amazing fight. Uh, Oscar, would you give us a quick, a brief description of, uh, of the night and how it went? Yeah, well, that fight, I will never forget it because it was the first time we saw Conor McGregor being finished by strikes. Previous to that, his only losses in the UFC were by submission to Habib and Nate Diaz, and those were big shockers as well. But to see a guy lose by strikes is way different because we can relate to it more. We see a guy just get beat down in that manner. And, you know, Conor McGregor has been finished by strikes in boxing, but to get knocked down like that against someone like Dustin Poirier, it really surprised me. I don't think... uh I don't think anybody really called that with much confidence. I do know that Dan Hardy is a very smart man. He was able to call that. He said that those calf kicks would be instrumental in Dustin Poirier's game plan because they would completely nullify the threat of Connor's left hand and it would lead him to victory. And he was exactly right. That's exactly what happened. He got destroyed by those leg kicks. I'm not too sure if he was tired but I, I honestly didn't feel like Connor was on his complete A game that night. I don't feel like he was at 100%. I didn't feel the same energy watching that as I did watching his performance against Eddie Alvarez, was, which was what I was expecting to see from him that night. I didn't see the same Connor in the octagon. I didn't even see the same Connor in the octagon that I saw against Cowboy. I didn't feel like the same enthusiasm was there from him. But uh, Dustin Poirier receives all the credit for me. I, I did what I could to show him the respect I could last time because I was thinking he was going to get put down and I was saying it on his birthday. But this time, I really mean it, man. People were disrespect, disrespecting him way too much heading into there. They said he had no real path to victory. They thought he could only get it done by decision and he shut them all up with this huge TKO victory. It, it's historic. It, I was... I was completely shocked. I had nothing to say when Connor got put down. I, I haven't felt I haven't felt that shocked during a knockout in a while. How about you? I agree with you. It, it, it was uh, weird to see McGregor get knocked out because we've never seen McGregor, as you said there before. He's only ever been finished, and when he's been finished at submission, Nate Diaz or Habib. But when McGregor got knocked out against Dustin Poirier, it was a sense of you know shock and thinking, "Wow, McGregor just got beat at his own game." Like, McGregor's known for knocking people out and out cold and TKOing them. And uh, McGregor just got TKO'd. That's a really bad look for McGregor. And uh, where does he go from here? It's, it's, it's a, a tough question. For him himself, he needs to step, sit back and really evaluate, you know, what does what has he done wrong? Where does he need to put his head? I think he needs to go back to what got him here. I think he needs to go get back to SBG, put himself back into the sticks, make him look like he was poor again. And see, now he's he's got all that money, all that fame. I feel like he isn't hungry anymore. He needs that. He needs to go back to when he was, you know, 
on welfare in in Ireland on welfare. He needs to go back to that mindset and thinking. Actually, I need to pay. I need to. I need to win this fight for my kids, for my family, to get food in their mouths, to help them financially. But you know, it's tough to do that because he's got hundred million in his bank. It's t it's tough to say I'm going to go do that. But then when he goes look at his bank account, he's got 110 million sat there, 120 whatever million he's got in that bank. Incredible. So I, I, I lack a, I see a lack of desire from uh, 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 Conor McGregor and a lack of, you know, hungriness. You know, I don't feel like that it's not there no more. You know, a guy who's done it in his, his career, he's been there, you know, he's beat Nate Diaz, you know, fought against Habib, beat Jose Aldo, beat Eddie Alvarez, a champ champ. This guy's done everything in MMA. He made what MMA is today, and one of the biggest sports in, in, in the world at the moment. And uh, we can't thank, obviously, Conor McGregor enough for what he's done for the sport. He, he gave me light to like all of these you know up and coming stars that were fighting on his card and you know if, if Conor McGregor was fighting on the card I was going to watch it and I was going to see these rising upcoming stars fighting on the same card so he gave everyone a light a, a shine to you know produce what they can on that card but as of McGregor if he does fight again I would like to see maybe an RDA or a Diaz trilogy I think them two will make the most sense for him, but you know it's, it's a tough spot. If he loses his next one, it's uh, it, it could be he could be a gunner, in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, well, right now he wants that trilogy with Dustin Poirier. It's a real possibility. Dustin Poirier can probably call his shot at this point. And mm -hmm. does he not want another red panty night? Does he not want another big payday? <laughs> I, I would have to guess not. I, I suppose he wants another big payday. Mm -hmm. But he said he was open to it. I don't know. I personally believe that the next man to challenge for the belt should be Charles Oliveira in a fight win streak. Mm -hmm. The dominant performance over Tony Ferguson was on a 12-fight win streak, beating the best of the best, former interim champion. I believe Charles Oliveira should be that man. I, I, I agree, I absolutely, 100%. For the vacant belt, I think the the, the lightweight division at the moment, you know, is kind of on uncertainty. Uh, what's happening with it? We don't know where it's going at the moment. I think Dustin Poirier versus uh, Charles Oliveira makes a, a lot of sense for that vacant belt. I think Habib should probably va vacate it soon, so we can get the you know the ball rolling in the division and uh, keep keep it moving on. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if they if they do give. McGregor, the Pori uh, trilogy, I, I, I would be quite angry with it, to be honest. Because I feel like that when Dustin Pori got knocked out to McGregor, he waited six years to get his hands on McGregor again. He worked ages. He, he went on like a... He had like nine fights since they, 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 they fought again in uh, uh, UFC 257. I feel like McGregor, you know, he's got to kind of work to get back to it. Dustin Pori had to work to get back to the rematch. Why doesn't McGregor have to work to it? Because, you know, it's McGregor. Dana White loves McGregor, and uh, he'll probably give him the trilogy. And uh, knowing how MMA works, it, 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 there'll be a crazy outcome. Yeah, yeah, let me uh, let me just repeat a joke I heard on Logan Paul's podcast, Impulsive. He said that they sent an ambulance to the arena after that fight. It was not for Conor McGregor. It was for Dana White because he had a heart attack, <laughs> you know. He had a lot of plans heading into this. A lot of plans for him. You know, he thought he was going to get that rematch with Habib. He was in that looking for a fight that they did in Abu Dhabi. He was telling Habib, imagine how big your fight with Khan would be. Imagine how much money you'd make. He was already uh, 
was counting his uh the uh, the, the chickens before they hatched, you know. That uh, that phrase. Yeah, let's see. Uh, you know, that's just talking. not just... Go ahead. Yeah, continue. Yeah, all right. Well, Dana was expecting Connor to win. Let's let's admit yeah. it, you know. He's a promoter. He's supposed to convince you that Dustin can win. But he really, uh, in my mind, I don't think Dana expected that from Dustin. He, see, you know, he saw the that first fight. He was kind of expecting a similar thing. And so was I. I can't blame the man. So and a lot of money was on the line of that, in that big rematch. And I don't think we'll ever see it because, you know, I, I feel like Connor Stock did go down that night. But let's not forget, he did sell the third most pay-per-views in UFC history. So... He's still a big star, and I say get Connor in there with Rafael dos Santos, the man he was once set to fight. He even had a press conference with them, so you don't even have to promote it as much. And he was able to um, dos Santos was able to compete at welterweight as well. So if Connor feels like the lightweight frame is not the best for him, they can always do it at welter at uh at lightweight. I mean at 170 pounds. Do you think uh, Connor should fight Del Santos, or should it be a Nate Diaz trilogy? Uh, with, with Nate Diaz as well, uh, there's been rumored that he's coming back down to 155 pounds. So if if Diaz comes down to 155 pounds, I feel like uh, him McGregor Diaz uh, trilogy that makes a lot of sense because you know they've had the first two. It's one one split, and it's a it's a it's a win that McGregor can can get. You know, you know, if you know what I mean, it's a very winnable fight for McGregor, and it's a, it's a, not, a, not no disrespect to you know, Diaz, how good he is, but it's a it's a fight that you know McGregor can kind of lead the dance in that fight. You know, we've seen it in the second fight where he counted him, and uh, in the first fight, obviously, he got finished via via the rare naked choke. But yeah, this is a fight that I feel like is really winnable for uh, McGregor, and uh, that that's the fight uh, that I'd like to see next. But if we're talking about if it's not Diaz, it's got to be RDA in my opinion. RDA, and I don't I don't want him to get that uh, Dustin Poirier trilogy. I think Dustin Poirier is on a new wavelength at the moment. You know, he needs to go for that belt of VR against Charles Oliveira or Gaethje or Chandler, whoever it is. He he needs that shot of the the vacant belt, and uh, I feel like McGregor's got to work to get that trilogy back if he wants it. Yeah, well, uh, Michael Chandler certainly put himself in a place to possibly fight for that belt, according to Dana White. What do you think about that fight between Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler? Because that was a real shocker for me. Oh, man. I, I, I did. I thought Dan Hooker, man. The, the Dan Hooker could take some shots. If you look at his recent fights, that man, that man can take a lot of shots. And you, you look at his last fight against Dustin Poirier. He took a lot of shots against Dustin Poirier. And he was hurt a lot in that fight. But, you know, he's, his durability is really good. And then Michael Chandler just goes in there and start, you know, put someone in his butt within, I, I, what was it, 2 minutes and 30 seconds in the first round. Incredible. What a way to introduce yourself to the UFC. I mean, this guy outside the UFC, you know, was known to be one of the best 155 pounders. And he proved it. He came into the UFC that night and he said, you know what, Bellator, you know, we've got some legit 155 pounders and I'm proving it here tonight. And it was absolutely incredible. And the most, the, the best thing about it is uh, the whole fight week, uh, Bellator were actually promoting Michael Chandler. If you look on their YouTube pages, their social media, they're promoting Michael Chandler. And then this is this this is good for Bellator because this is a, you know, a little bit of, you know, kicking the arse for UFC saying, actually, you know what, Bellator, 
We do have some good fighters. We do have elite level competition. And uh, Michael Chandler put them out, put them on the map definitely with this fight, knocking out Dan Hooker. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, I really didn't expect it. The way, the way how good he looked as well. I feel like Dan Hooker looked a little bit off as well. I feel like he wasn't, you know, all there. But Michael Chandler looked great. And the way he, you know, he faints them takedowns, fakes his feet. He faints his, um, his punches. And the way he, you know, went to the right to the body, came up high with that left hook. Hit him sweet on the chin. Absolutely incredible punch. And put him down and finished it off. And it was... It, it, what, and then the backflip. Let's talk about that backflip. The backflip was incredible. Uh, is it better than Gaethje's? What do you reckon? Uh, it's it's not better than Gaethje's. That one actually really caught me off guard. Gaethje's... Gaethje does it after every fight except the one where he beat Tony. That that backflip really caught me off guard. And uh, I, not, I don't hate it as much as Dan it does but hey if you can do it uh, I, I certainly can't do one I don't think I'll ever be able to do one it, it takes a really athletic person to do one I know y'all Romero you know y'all Romero can do it in jeans I certainly can't do it in you know in any kind of athletic gear if you ask me to but hey Michael Chandler had the perfect UFC debut and in my opinion nobody has ever done it better in their first outing in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Michael Chandler was being disrespected by some people. Once again, I feel like a lot of these picks that were wrong this week were just underestimations yeah. of a guy. A lot of people picked Michael Chandler, picked, I mean, picked against Michael Chandler because they thought Dan Hooker was fighting the better competition. Well, I feel like that was that'd be an ignorant statement because Michael Chandler... He may have come from Bellator, but Bellator, at the top, they're really elite guys. At the top, especially, they have elite guys, and he's won. He's uh, got in his hand racing five Bellator title fights, so you really can't discredit him for that. And what he did to Dan Hooker was astonishing. Nobody's done that to Dan Hooker before. He may have ten losses, but nobody's ever put away him away in that manner. And that it was. Just as shocking as the Conor lost to me. Dan Hooker has been very durable in his last couple fights. He absorbed over 100 significant strikes, and he did not go down in any of those fights against Dan Hooker. I mean, uh, Paul Felder, Dustin Poirier, he took everything from those guys, and he kept on swinging. That guy's a real warrior, and it was really shocking. I, I agree. I, the way he landed the punch, the way he finished the fight, and... The way he conducted himself after the fight, and uh, the last thing I said, I was talking about the way um, Michael Chandler conducts himself in the octagon, how he knocked him out, and uh, how he finished the fight. Absolutely incredible scenes. But then when he got on the mic after the fight, I felt like he was incredible. He was uh, hes probably one of the best guys we've ever seen get on the mic after a UFC fight. The way he conducted himself after that fight, called out Habib. It was incredible, man. It was, how good was he on the mic that day, um, Oscar? I don't think there's a bigger Dardai fan out there than me. I've I've been a childhood fan. I've loved it more than anything else. It was what I really loved before I discovered how great MMA was. And to see him do a promo just like Ric Flair did when he won the WWE Championship in 1992 by eliminating Hulk Hogan with the assistance of Psycho Sid, it was awesome, man. That promo is one of the greatest wrestling promos I can recall. You know, 
The whole promo by Ric Flair was with a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. And, you know, I didn't, uh, Michael Chandler didn't want to be as dramatic, so he left out with a tear in my eye, but he made it pretty close. And, you know, it was it was a nod to DC and Hawani. Those guys have a great podcast over at ESPN. And they were always mentioning how Michael Chandler was like, uh, he was like a big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. And he was finally coming over to the big pond. And that was what Ric Flair was back in 1992. He was that big fish, uh, uh, that big fish going over to the big pond. And that's, it was very comparable. And I really liked how he, how he, uh, he really gave a nod to those guys with that, uh, that old school promo. I really like when, uh, when guys do that, you know, Colby Covington, he, you know, he makes it a little annoying, but, you know, it really promotes a fight well. If you do it right, if you pull it off right, it didn't sound too forced, and the people that uh, knew what it came from, they appreciated it, like me. Exactly. You said that it wasn't too forced. It sounded natural when uh, Michael Chandler got on the mic. It sounded absolutely natural, and uh, it was it probably one of the greatest uh, moments I've ever seen in a post-fight interview. Yeah, you know, uh, some guys, they can deliver it in the octagon, but most of the guys can't really deliver it on the mic. You know, that's what really got Connor to where he was. And that was a very, uh, that was a very memorable moment for Michael Chandler. Not only did he have a flawless uh, performance in the octagon, he did it really well on the mic as well. I, I hope he continues to do stuff like this. He's a really articulate guy. He... He knows how to promote fights, but he doesn't go too over the top. And I, I like that about him. You know, you can tell he's one of the nice guys in the sport. And I do not think that he will get the title shot, even though Dana said it, it's a possibility. I just feel like Dustin Poirier, Dustin Poirier didn't get a title shot after being Dan Hooker, so why should he? Yeah, I say. I, um, I agree. I have yeah, I, I say. Yeah, I say put him in there with Gaethje. Tell me that wouldn't be a great fight. The World Series of Fighting, former World Series of Fighting champion, is the former Bellator champion. Why not Why not do that? If you want to talk about great debuts, Gaethje versus uh, Michael Johnson, that was as memorable as it gets. That was a ridiculous fight. That was nonstop action. That fight will bring nonstop action. I think that's what should be next in. That should be the number one contenders fight, if you ask me. That that if, if, if I'm thinking about that fight uh, between uh, Gaethje and Chandler, uh, oh my god, that's that. Even just thinking about it, that's a fire. You know, them both men are gonna throw some heavy metal, and uh, whoever lands first, <laughs> that's what it is. Whoever lands yeah, first, clean. Yeah, I would definitely expect a knockout from those two. Both guys have fought Eddie Alvarez and have had fights that just never stop. Never stop. So that would be a, a a fight for the ages, and that's what I really want to see, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Michael Chandler, we asked what, what goes for him. Where does he go next? We both agreed on Justin Gaethje, but on the other hand, uh, Dan Hooker, where, where do you match him next? Yeah, I think like Dan, I believe that Dan Hooker might need to take a, a, a little bit of a long layoff. He already had a pretty long layoff, but that was a pretty uh, nasty finish by Chandler. He landed a good six unanswered punches. It was it was pretty shocking to see Dan Hooker finish like that after being so durable in his last couple of few. But, hey, I, I reckon you put him in there with the winner of Benil Dariush 
versus Diego Ferreira uh, on February 6th. Put them in there against the winner of that fight. So, uh, whoever wins that fight will find themselves in the top 10. And I do believe that Dan Hooker is out of the top five for sure now after a loss like that. So put him in there with the winner of Fajera versus Darius too. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Dan Hooker, if I'm correct, is uh, now ranked uh, number eight in the lightweight division. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after two big losses against uh, Dustin Poirier and uh, Michael Chandler, but... A win is definitely what he needs right now. An incredible fighter, none the right. You know, he's had some great wins under his belt. Gilbert Burns, uh, Paul Felder, controversially. He's had some really good uh, wins in his UFC career. Went on a, a really good win streak before that uh, Dustin Poirier fight. But uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good fighter in his own right. But, you know, he needs to get that win now, pick up a win. And uh, he's a very likable guy as well. I like, I, I like him and uh, hopefully he gets that win. It was quite sad to see him get knocked out and the way he got knocked out as well. It was an incredible finish from Michael Chandler. Yep, we'll move on to uh, Jessica I versus uh, Joanna Calderwood, uh, where Joanna Calderwood picked up a unanimous decision, and uh, in in a fight which is probably not going to go in my memory mem- memory in my head. When when I think about fights, I'm not going to bring this one up. Hundred percent not. And uh, it, it's a good fight, you know. Both men, you know, uh, not both. <laughs> both women. I mean, <laughs> both women. Yeah, landed a lot of shots. Joanna Calderwood was the more busier of the women. She landed 214 of her 310. Uh, 319 shots, and uh, Jessica I, 104 of her uh, 218, you know, jo- uh, Joanna Collingwood was just a busy woman in this fight. She was the busy, uh, more accurate, and just more mobile woman. She was on her feet, loose, uh, using her kicks really well. Her teep kicks was well to the to the knees, she using her teep to the body. Uh, she went to the body a lot, as I said there, she invested in the body quite a lot. And, uh, you know, Jessica I, you know, uh, she's she's not she's not she's not up there with the best and uh, Joanna Caldwell uh, you know kind of proved it this day uh, yeah, 30-27 and twenty eight twenty nine but you know uh, we'll move on yeah, Joanna Caldwell gets that you know decision win and uh, moves up in the rankings gets back into the win column after dropping a, a loss to Jennifer Meyer taking that one on short notice but yeah uh, she moves on in division not much to really talk about this fight other than Joanna Caldwell was more the busier woman, and she fought the United States woman. What's your thoughts on this one? We'll keep this one nice and short. My picks were way off this card. You know, if you were a betting man, if you followed along with my picks, you lost a lot of money because I was just way off that night. But this one went exactly the way I thought it would. Joanne Calderwood was a kickboxer. She's really good. Her Muay Thai is excellent, and that's what she... Did right here. She did what I expected her to do. She's a better striker. And as you saw, Jessica I made this fight almost unbearable to watch. She only could win by outmuscling her in the clinch, just pinning her against the clay, pinning her against the fence with not really much activity, which that won her around according to one judge, but she wasn't doing any damage. She was just she was just laying and praying. Just there wasn't much activity from Jessica I and Calderwood outstruck her. That's about all I have to say. Yep, uh, that, that's that's the story of the fight. Uh, Calderwood was the more busy woman outstruck her, and I pointed uh, to the United decision win. Uh, moving on to the next fight, we had uh, Andrew Sanchez versus uh, Maradov. Uh, and, uh, what a finish this was! Uh, this this guy on the feet, man, he's no joke. He's he, he's really good on the feet, and you can't mess with him. Uh, uh, Andrew Sanchez uh, took a lot of shots in this. Uh, uh, in, in this fight, and, uh, you know, Mac- Maradov, you know, landed some heavy, heavy bombs. But, you know, I felt like uh, Sanchez was in the fight, 
But the third round, he kind of, you know, I feel like he was competitive. He made it competitive. But Maradov was always a step ahead. I feel like his uh, striking was just more crisper, more sharper. And, uh, you know, the guy's absolutely incredible on the feet. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to stand with him. And uh, he eventually got the third round finish. Uh, you know, moves on to his win streak at the moment. is looking real hot. Hasn't lost. I think he's on an eight-fight win streak. And now, you know, he's looking good. 13. He goes 13. Yes. 13-fight win streak. Uh, incredible. Uh, what surprised me is that his takedown defense as well. He stuffed two uh, out of two. Out of two uh, he stuffed two takedowns in this fight from Sanchez, who's really good on the ground. He's got some good jiu-jitsu, uh, some good wrestling, and uh, that that really surprised me. It's good to see him, you know, get kind of tested at his takedown defense. And uh, uh, you know, Maradov, man, he's no joke on the on 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 the striking. This guy's got hands, and that's why. And that, we should know that because he's backed up by Floyd Mayweather. And uh, you know, this guy is incredible, and I can't wait to see him fight again. Uh, what's your thoughts on the on the Sanchez versus Marido fight. Looks really good that night. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Yep. Maradov looked good that night and uh, got the KO win in the third round. Uh, to kick off the main card, we uh, started with Mariano Rodriguez versus uh, Amanda Hebas. Uh, a fight where I, in the first round, I thought Rebus won. You know, she got the fight to the floor, controlled her for three minutes of 39 seconds. And then in round two, she made a weird decision to stay on the feet with a, a Muay Thai kickboxing specialist. And she paid the price and, you know, she got knocked out with, with a... It was um, oh, let me Was it a kick? It was a kick, weren't it? No, it was a... It was a straight punch. It was oh, just a... Oh, yes, yes. It was, it, was an ugly, it was an ugly beating. Mm -hmm. It was the one-two straight down the pipe. Rodriguez lands clean. Drops her, finishes the fight. Uh, Rebat is like, whoa, what's going on? I, I, I'm good. And uh, no, you're not. You're stumbling. Uh, you're not good. You, you know, your, you, your legs are not under you. Uh, that was a pretty hefty punch that she took. And uh, Mariana Rodriguez, you know, kind of stopped the hype train in that fight. Uh, but Amanda Hibas, you know, she's young. She can come back uh, and she can, uh, you know, improve. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Mariana Rodriguez and, uh, and on the win? You know, heading into this fight, Amanda Hebus was a massive favorite. She had a lot of hype behind her. And I picked her because I, I was buying into the hype. She's really good on the ground, but her striking has a little ways to go. And uh, Marina Rodriguez is a little bigger. And I, she had a reach advantage in this fight as well. It was just uh, just not the night for Hebus, especially when you're going to try to strike with somebody as good as Marina Rodriguez, who was piecing up Carlos Barca on the feet when it was on the feet. Uh, and we saw in the Carlos Barca fight that she could be taken down and controlled, which is why people were picking Hebus, and that's why Hebus was a big uh, favorite here. But she's gotten knocked out before in a career by uh, Polly, Pollyanna Viana. She's been knocked out before, and we just overlook it. You know, we just assume she's gotten better. But she, she can still be finished on the feet. Her striking has not reached uh the pinnacle you know it's not it's not a finished product yet she'll come back she'll be better uh and i just think that marina rodriguez was being disrespected like everyone like all the other underdogs that won and she should get a big fight such as a karate hottie michelle watterson how about you do you think that should be the fight for her uh, that, that's that's a good fight and it's a very good matchup and you know she gets a if she does get matched up to uh, Michelle Watson um it's a good name for her 
Uh, Michelle Watson, you know, she's been around for everyone. And there, so yeah, that's a really good matchup. I'd like to see Marina Rodriguez take on uh, uh, Michelle Watson next. What about uh, for Amanda Rebus? Where, 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 do you, where does she go from here? Yeah, I do believe that uh, over an American top team, they're always uh, improving on their skills. She's training with her former opponent, Paige Van Zandt, for her uh, bare knuckle boxing fight uh, Super Bowl weekend, which is uh, next weekend, actually. And uh, I'm sure she'll be working on her striking. But in the meantime, maybe we go uh, in the direction of maybe Claudia Gadeja. Gadeja is on a little bit of a is on a little bit of a skid. Her striking is not as good. I I I do believe she should go to flyweight. That, those cuts look like they really take a toll on her, and she slows down as the fight progresses. I do believe that their uh their grappling skills would just be canceled out, and it would be on the feet. And I would like to see what she can do against uh, Claudia. Great matchup, and uh, yet again for Marina Rodriguez, as I said there, she gets Michelle Watson. That would be a good name for her, and Amanda Rebus, that would be a good name for her. You know, Cardi Galea, uh, former former uh, former uh, title uh, challenger, um, and she's a, she's, a, she's a veteran, been around the sport ages, and a, a good win. If she does get the win against Galea, that would be a huge win for her. Uh, we'll quickly talk about Absolutely. the prelims, if you'd like. Not too, nothing too much. We're not going to do it, go into t detail. We'll talk about the, you know, the little, uh, little uh, something what happened. So we will talk with uh, Armand Tigzarian, put on a good performance against Matt Frivola. Absolutely dominant performance and showed, you know, their levels to this game. I, I did, I did, I picked uh, Matt in this fight because I thought Armand missed weight by a lot, and it will kind of affect him in this fight. We might see a big, a big. Um, uh, a big uh, uh, um, uh, what's the underdog uh, win? Uh, uh, I can't, I can't, I couldn't figure upset, the word there. Upset, upset, upset. That's it. A big yeah. upset, a big upset. But you know, Armand Tizarin, you know, showed his qualities, showed how good he is, and uh, controlled the fight. Uh, but yeah, we had some really good prelims. Uh, Julia Pena, she got the submission win after losing. I think she was losing the fight. Uh, she had to finish the yeah. fight, and she did finish the fight. Uh, what's your thoughts on the prelims? Yeah, the the prelims. They weren't the most exciting fights. I told you guys there wasn't going to be a lot of finishes. There was not a lot of finishes. And the, the fights uh, were, were a little bit of a snoozers, to be honest. I would have paid extra money to watch, uh, to just skip over to the to the, uh, to the last two fights. Because those fights were just, just you know, they, they were really uh, they were really the focus of my attention that night. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, some good performances by some people. I had money on Sarah McMahon, and I was, I was just devastated, cause Sarah McMahon did what Sarah McMahon does. She's winning the fight. She's on. She's in top position. She's controlling. She's controlling her opponent. And then when the third round comes by, she's tired. She gets a little too overconfident. Mm -hmm. She gets tired, and she gets submitted. And that's what Juliana Pena did. I I had already told you guys that Pena was a. Uh, uh, was not as good as Sarah McMahon. You actually picked Julian and Pena, I'm sure you were sweating bullets uh, in that early in the yeah, early I, part I, of that. I had money on her as well in the third round. I was like, she needs to win. Yeah. She needs to finish her, and she get it. She got it done. Yeah, uh, you know, I wasn't as confident Juliana Pena's uh, submission skills because you know she got submitted by Jermaine Duranemi. That shouldn't that shouldn't happen to anyone in the UFC, if you ask me. It's a little alarming when you're getting submitted by a Dutch kickboxer. Well. Uh, Sarah McMahon just, you know, she she really let me down that night. 
I don't feel comfortable blending on her again against most girls, especially at this level and at the age that she's at. You know, there's not it's not too much time to improve. Juliana Pena calling on men and Nunes, that was a little outlandish. It was a little out of left field. I don't think anybody really expected her to get the Amanda fight as a result. You know, some the commentators had to say, oh, cool, call out, you know, because they got to be respectful. We don't have to be respectful over here at MMA and Hinge. We can be honest. That fight would not be competitive in any way. I don't care what the odds are. I would bet on Amanda in that fight. That is a sure win for Amanda. There's nowhere where Pena is better. That would just be a horrendous matchup for Pena. That would be bad for her for health, if you ask me. Just just a terrible matchup in every way conceivable. And uh, you were talking about uh, Saryukian. Man, Adnan Zaytar is, is just a, he's a fool. I don't care what you needed that was in that bag. You compromise the Fight Island bubble. That Fight Island bubble is the UFC's gem for the international fighters. If it's not for that bubble, there's no fights uh, with fighters uh, outside of the U.S. It, it almost messed up the whole operation. Could you imagine if a Conor McGregor fight got called off because the guy he brought in had COVID? Could you imagine how big of a, how big of an of just a disaster that would be? I, I'm sure Dana White... Uh, I'm sure Dana White was infuriated when he discovered that somebody had gotten inside without uh, without their own wristband. I, you know, shame on Ahmed Zaytar. I was a big fan of the guy. He was 13 and 0. He had an insane knockout power. I would even I had even picked him to win. Uh, shame on him. You know, that that story is wild. It's going to be one of the biggest MMA uh, mysteries in the future. What was in that bag? I would have to assume it's weight cutting gear or whatever, maybe an IV, something like that. But hey, props to Matt Favola and Amrin Sarukian for staying on that island and taking fights on 24 hours notice, pretty much. Uh, props to those guys, and Sarukian is is the real deal. He's the real deal. He got 10 takedowns. Of course, Matt Favola was training for a completely different fighter. He was not training for a wrestler of that magnitude. So, uh, Props to those guys for taking that fight and deciding to be active. Uh, but Sarikin is uh, the real deal. Let's talk about Brad Tavares and uh, Shoeface Antonio Carlos Jr. Some fool put 20000 US dollars on Antonio Carlos Jr. heading into that fight. I thought Carlos Jr. had a real chance. In fact, uh, I put a little bit of money on him because I because uh, back when he was an underdog, of course, because he actually ended up being the favorite, and you know, he completely just had, he had a bad night. He couldn't take him down, Brad Tavares had unbelievable takedown defense. His, his sprawl was was off the chain. He was able to piece him up. He almost finished him in that second round, and uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. had no answer when he couldn't get the takedown. Well, what do you think about that fight? I, it was a great fight, very competitive, and uh, Brad Tavares looked uh, great. His takedown defense, you said there, he stuffed uh, 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 Antonio Carlos Jr. tried one. He got one of twelve takedowns. That's incredible against a guy as talented and as you know great on the ground as Antonio Carlos Jr., a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, incredible you know uh, practitioner, and uh, it was a really good performance for Brad Tavares. Landed a lot of shots on the feet. As you said, almost finished him in round two, uh, and then I think the bell went, and then the, you know he got time to recover. And uh, round three, it was a, a really good fight. It, I think it was one-one. Going into the third, uh, in my opinion, but 
you know, everyone, uh, the, the Brad Tavares got, that's, that's probably because I betted on Antonio Carlos Jr. I probably thought he got the first round, but anyway, um, I think the first round he had some good control against defense, and, and uh, I think he took him down in the first round as well, controlled him a little bit, but uh, Tavares got straight back up, and uh, yeah, Brad Tavares won that night, and uh, it was a great performance, his striking looked crisp, Striking look great, and uh, I, I'm excited to see where he goes from here. You know, after that loss to Edmund Shabazian, uh, this is a great win for uh, in, in Brad Tavares. Yeah, I got to agree with you. Um, what else stuck out from the prelims to you? I thought that Roundtree, uh, that Roundtree loss was, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a shock as well. Yeah, I, I, I thought Roundtree won. I, I, I really did, and that that. <laughs> Uh, Marcin uh, Prakniar, his striking, I, I wasn't impressed with it whatsoever. I feel like he, he, he's wild. He's uh, He doesn't pick his shots. Uh, as disappointed in Khalil Roundtree, I feel, I feel like he could have done maybe a little bit more in this fight. I feel like he could probably maybe have landed the, the killer blows, been maybe been a bit more active. He only landed 50 of his uh, 149 strikes. Marcin Prakniar landed 105 of his 220. When you look at it like that, you're thinking, whoa. But, uh, you know, I feel like uh, Khalil Roundtree needed to be busy, and he wasn't. He, he he really wasn't busy in this fight, and that, that was the downfall in this fight. Uh, how good his uh, his Muay Thai is. He just needs to get busy and chop these guys down like he did against Jared Anders. When, they, when he chopped them down, when he uses his leg kicks, he's unreal. He's incredible. But, you know, I didn't really see much of that in this fight. He only started to use his body kicks in round two, and he still wasn't really throwing it. And uh, he just needs to get busier. You know, and uh, more accurate, and uh, it, it was unfortunate to see him lose, uh, but it was a a, a really weird um, decision. But uh, who do you reckon got the nod? I actually do believe that Brackner won the fight. I thought that Roundtree just wasn't active enough mm. to get the nod. He clearly won that second round. That there's no disputing that he rocked him bad. I, I don't know why he didn't follow it up. He didn't chase the finish. And that cost him because his gas tank was atrocious. So was Prakneos. That third round was hard to watch, if you ask me. It was just very, very sloppy from those two. I felt like this reminded me of that uh, Buckley uh, uh, DeShirko fight uh, because there was a guy on a three fight skid going against a knockout artist, and you expected the knockout guy to win, but he didn't. So uh, that really. That was a real shocker for me, and I also had a uh, had a lot of hopes for uh, Khalil Rauchy winning this. And, and I think he should just retire at this point. You know, he's not going to make it to the top. He's you know, he was he had already retired before. He's coming out of for this. And if you're going to look this bad, you know, some people are saying, "Oh, it's time for Conor to retire." It's time for Khalil Rauchy to retire. That's that's an affirmative statement for me. Uh, there's really not much. Not much room for negotiation there with me. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, to a certain extent, I agree with you. I feel like you know maybe he can fix a few things, uh, maybe get the right team around him, you know, to, to lead him, uh, get him more busier. That's all he needs to do. Just get busier with his hands and his kicks, and uh, he he would be a good fighter. Yeah, I just, I just, I don't think the motivation is there. He had already retired. He's uh he has a new girlfriend over in Thailand. You know, he seems happy. I don't, you know, if he ever retired before, I think he can do it again. And if you don't, you're not even getting the best results, why, why even show up? I just feel like he's underperformed so many times. He's unreliable as a better. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's just a little tough for him. 
to be in the UFC at this point. I feel like, uh, you know, maybe don't compete at this level. Because when you're losing to a guy that got knocked out by Sam Alvey, it's a little alarming, if you ask me. And talking about guys that that, that uh, might retire or will retire or did retire, Nick Lentz against Mossar Evilev, that was, uh, that was a pretty, uh, you know, uh, grueling fight to watch, you know. He was going for that guillotine on countless occasions, and I had a lot of confidence in Mossar winning. So I was I was sweating bullets when he had that guillotine on him in that first round. And in the second round, he got it again, and you could hear him uh, gurgling. Uh, it uh, kind of reminded me of that one uh, uh, tough season one. Uh, was it season one? Yeah, season one where I think uh, Stephen Bonner got put in a choke by Mike Swick, and he started uh, gurgling because he, cause he was choking. Yeah, it reminded me of that. It was kind of funny. But uh, what was not funny is that eye injury on Nick Lentz. That eye injury is, uh, it was pretty gnarly to, to see, you know. He said he lost 40% of his vision, you know. He's kind of like the lightweight uh, Michael Visping that just never made it to the top. He's had an up-and-down uh, career, and it's come to a close. You know, he, he has some decent wins, but he just never really got to that status of, of title contender. He had a trilogy with Charles Oliveira, and he didn't win a single fight. I don't know why they even booked that third fight. Uh, you know, it was a tough career for Nick Lentz, and it, it was, you know, it's kind of sad to see him uh, just not even have the choice because his eyes in just so, such a bad shape. But Mosfar, he, he, he passed the gatekeeper test against Nick Lentz in this spot. And now he's ready for possibly somebody in the 15, top 15, maybe the winner of uh, Danny and Ryan Hall. Nice. Uh, good matchups. Uh, Oscar always comes in clutch with the matchups. Uh, a great way to round, round it off this video. We talked about Kilo Roundtree, you know, his inactivity in us on the feet. We talked about Nick Lentz retiring. And uh, starting off tonight, Emil Arbazi gets a unanimous decision win versus uh, Zuma Gulov. A great fight. Uh, a really good fight. I feel like Zuma Gulov was just looking for that one big uh, kill shot. And uh, Amil Bar Barzi was just, you know, more active, you know, outpointing him uh, with the jab and uh, his, his, his strikes. He landed 94 out of 200 strikes. And, uh, you know, he was he looked good that night. He got two takedowns as well. And uh, he got that three minutes of 20, uh, three minutes of 38 second uh, control time. And uh, he's, he's looking like a good prospect. A guy uh, that actually fights out of London Street Fighters. And he, when he got on the mic, I was actually quite impressed with his accent. I didn't think he was going to be like... Uh, I don't know, he sounded kind of British. I was like, whoa, that kind of put me off. That, that yeah. kind of threw me off guard because I was like, whoa, he's from Iraq. He, 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 he originates from Sweden. His family is from Sweden, but he sounds British. I was like, what? <laughs> this one was, uh, it was a bit funny, but uh, yeah, a great performance from Al-Bazi uh, to round off the prelims and the whole card. Emir Al-Bazi wins, Nick Lentz loses to a Movsar Overlife, then retires. Kilo Roundtree loses to Martin Pracnial. Uh, Julia Peña submits Sarah Mountman after losing the fight, and uh, Brad Tavares returns in a... Uh, uh, in spe spectacular fashion versus uh, Shoeface and uh, Armin Tingzarian shows his uh, how good he is and uh, gets a win versus Matt Frivola, a very game Matt Frivola. And uh, Mariano Rodriguez upsets all odds and uh, gets that KO win, a beautiful KO win against uh, Amanda Rivas. And uh, uh, Andrew Sanchez uh, loses uh, to KO versus Maradov. Uh, Maradov showed his striking prow uh, prowess and uh, knocked him out. 
And Jeremy Calderwood uh, versus Jessica I, United decision win. Uh, not, not, not much to speak about this fight. Calderwood showed a Muay Thai a kickboxing background and uh, utilised it very well. And Jessica I kind of stood on the on the feet and uh, kind of let it all happen. Uh, in the, the co-main event of the evening, we saw Michael Chandler introduce himself to the UFC in one of the most spectacular fashions I've ever seen in my life. But if not, probably maybe the best debut in the, in, in, we've ever seen. Yeah, I have to. I have to agree with that. Yeah, hundred better than uh, Gaethje, better than Anderson Silva. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with you. That was probably one of the best ba debuts I've ever seen in, in 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 when he arrived to the UFC. And on the mic, that was probably one of the best post fight interviews I've ever seen. And in the in the main event of the evening, Dustin Poirier, uh, you know, you paid him fuel. He, he this guy comes in and knocks out Conor McGregor. Uh, you know, this is a this is like a happy ending felt uh, felt. A fairy tale story for Dustin Poirier, and uh, it, uh, even though I was uh, shocked that McGregor got lost, I was kind of happy for Dustin Poirier to get his revenge. Uh, this this guy is the most likable guy in MMA. It was so wholesome to see him win, and uh, to, the way he done it as well was spectacular and very surprising. Yeah, uh, I I also have to mention three things. I learned how to pronounce Sarukian. That's how you pronounce it. Silent T. It's Sarukian. It's like that one uh, Dragon Ball Z game. Sorry, you can. That's what it is. Uh, second thing. I also I may have only gotten six of uh, I think it was six of eleven. Six of eleven fights I got correct, but all of them I got the method perfectly correct, and including the one between uh, Sanchez and Muradov. Muradov got the finish in the third round. I was able to predict it correctly, so. Those coming at me, hey, your picks were off, your picks were off. Hey, when I know something's going to happen, I can even tell you how it's going to happen. <laughs> it's just that a cold Oscar. But, hey, uh, you know, Mystic Mac did uh, made uh, no appearances on that on, on that night. And also, I have to mention that I did change my picks. I'm, I'm a very open-minded person. If I hear an argument for, uh, for something else, I will change my mind. And I heard a couple other podcasts previewing the uh, – the fights, and I heard that uh, I heard that uh, Zuma Gulov uh, can be definitely taken down and uh, controlled, and that that you know that kind of made me nervous. And I switched over to the Albazi side. Thank goodness I, I watched uh, some more Albazi tape his fight with Malcolm Gordon, and I said, yeah, let let's uh, let's pick him now because his his striking looks uh, it, it reminds me, you know, like a like a tiny little wonder boy. He has that karate stance, like to bounce around. Of course, it, his striking is not even half as good as Wonder Boys, but for for uh, you know the flyweight division is not as well developed. He can definitely he definitely have strikes some guys, and he really impressed me. That was an even fight until it wasn't. And um, what I said to myself, oh yeah, Pena and McMahon. I told you guys it was a coin flip fight, and I flipped that coin once again to the to the McMahon side, and I was almost right until I wasn't. Did you do you ever change your picks? Um, like on final, do you ever just get cold feet? I, I do sometimes. Yeah, sometimes when it comes to fight day, I think uh, actually he uh, depending on how they look on weigh-ins. I usually sometimes I see when they when they weigh in, I'm like, oh, he didn't look good. Uh, that might have an effect. So uh, for the Tazarian fight. When he came in like three pounds over, I was like, "Oh God, that 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 could be it. that could pay a factor in this fight." You know, when you're missing the you're missing the uh, the scale and you're missing the weight, it's not a good look. And uh, it can it has affected fighters in the past. 
And uh, I felt like, the, you know, Matt Favola could really put the pressure on and uh, maybe, maybe, maybe gas out. But Tazarian showed uh, some great uh, cardio in the fight. Even he, even when he did miss weight, he looked like he could go five rounds and he looked great. But yeah, um, uh, I, I, I get a lot of cold feet. I always change my picks. Always. Yeah. Uh, you know, weight miss can mean two things. It can mean, A, the, the fighter just could not finish the weight cut successfully. And uh, they decided it was better to stop cutting weight, or their body just just absolutely refused. Uh, or it could be a case where the guy where the guy uh, absolutely knows that if they have that advantage, they will take it. And if if it's a really close fight or a fight where they may need to grapple, and it and it would hurt their chances of successfully uh, establishing their position cutting extra weight, it would definitely uh, would definitely benefit them and have a couple pounds on them. So uh, it, it can either mean that a fighter is struggling or he is just being, he's just trying to get an advantage. And uh, in that Sarukian uh, example, I don't really know which one it was, but it might have been the advantage because he came in there with a grappling, grappling heavy approach and he dominated Matt Frivola. Yeah, well, uh, for me and Oscar, this is our UFC 257 recap. This is a, a very good buy, a, a pay-per-view to start, start start off the year. You know, Dustin Poirier coming in large, defeating Conor, Conor McGregor, knocking him out. Incredible night. And Michael Chandler introducing himself. Uh, I'm excited to see how the UFC, you know, introduce them to the, how they move on with uh, Chandler and Dustin Poirier, see what's next for them. Uh, for me and Oscar, a very good buy, and uh, podcast number 15 is now going to be dropped. Thank you very much, and uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you very much.